I want to talk to you about a very important subject, a very incredible subject, an all-powerful subject, and it's God. In the form of Jesus Christ, His Son, came to this earth. You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things out there about uh, Jesus and who He was and who He said He was. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, I think it's important that we recognize if, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, you don't believe He was the Son of God, that He was with God in the beginning, then your problems just mounted substantially. Because that right there is the first point of contact. You've got to believe that He is, and then He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. You've got to believe before anything else gets started. You've got to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. There is no other name given among names by which we must be saved. You know, this is an exclusive gospel. All are included in. All can come. Jesus didn't die for some in the world. He died for all in the world. But it is very exclusive. You can't get through Muhammad. You can't get through Gandhi. You can't get it through, uh, you know, Buddhism and and. Uh, Islam and any of these other things, let's just be honest right here. It, it, it doesn't matter whether you come through it through science or atheism or anything else. The only name that is given to us is the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's going to happen. See, the thing is, is we will one day submit to Him. One way or the other, we got to submit to Him. He's, he's Jesus Christ. He is Lord. He owns it all. The truth is, is whether or not we just do it today or whether or not we just say, no, no, I'm going to put them off. I'll put them off another day. Or even like what we're going to read in our text where uh, we're going to talk about how uh, the Pharisees, some of them wanted to, wanted to kill him for the things he said. I love C.S. Lewis's quote, and as a matter of fact, we'll go ahead and just put that up there right now. If you don't mind, I've got it spread. It's, it's not too long, but... It says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Pretty good, huh? A lot of people, have you ever heard that? Oh, well, you know, Jesus was a great teacher, you know, and man, he did a lot of good things. I don't believe he's God, but he was a lot of great things. If he wasn't God, then you and I are here in vain. If Jesus was not God, if all he did, if he didn't rise from the dead, if he, wasn't, if he didn't live a sinless life, then you and I are here for no reason. We're here for no reason. It's all, I mean, you know, we can feel good about ourselves, we can do all these things, but if it didn't really happen, 
pack it up and go. Because we're here for no reason. The truth is, Jesus says some things that are so clear in the Bible. That's so adequate to, to tell you exactly who he believed he was. That there's no doubt at all. You aren't left with a choice. You're left with the opportunity to just pick up stones like some of the Pharisees did so you can kill him or crucify him or you can just accept that this is the Messiah, that this is the Son of God. That's all you got. That's all you got. That's the choices you're left with. Well, I want you to turn to John, the 8th chapter, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. John, the 8th chapter, and then we're going to also turn to another passage. I, I titled this message... Jesus is greater than, so you uh, actually go to the slide real quick, and then Jesus is greater than, it's, it's John the 8th chapter starting at verse 51, I, I put on there 56, but verse 51 is where I want to start, but Jesus is greater than, and then I left it blank for you, this is a fill in the blank, this is a fill in the blank test, I'm going to test you at the end of service, and you've got to be able to fill in that blank right there. Well, I, I have taught math. I'm a pre-engineering teacher. And I still do that. And so I couldn't help it. I, I, I thought I'd put it in the symbolic term, Jesus greater than. And then you fill in that blank. Amen? All right? So, so I know some of you weren't willing to do math this morning. But hey, here it is. There's the math. All right, so let's go to that scripture. And uh, I don't know if you'll be able to back it up to verse... Uh, 51 or not, but uh, we're going to actually start at John, the 8th chapter, verse 51. I should have been turning my pages. I got sidetracked. John, the 8th chapter, verse 51. It says, verily, verily, which just means truly, truly, or it means what I'm about to say is absolute. I say unto you, if a man keeps my sayings, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, now we know that you are, or thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, if a man keeps my sayings, he shall never taste death. Are thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets that are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. Jesus was willing to step on a few toes right there, right? But I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. And was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not even fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, that's an important word. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to focus in on that in a second. But go to Exodus, the third chapter. So Israel has been in bondage for over 400 years. 
And in Exodus, the third chapter, they're about to, to get their deliverance. They're going to be delivered. And Exodus, the third chapter, starting at verse 1, it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a, burnt, of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw, uh, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him, out of the midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, but put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, if you would, let's just jump down to verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father God, I just pray right now, you are that great I am. There is nothing too big for you. Lord, you are the God that never sleeps nor slumbers. And I just ask right now, Lord, that you would begin to open up our hearts to receive. I pray that you would build up the faith and confidence of your people, that they might call on your name and you would answer them and do great and mighty things. Lord, I just thank you that you're using us to reach the nations. I thank you, Father God, that you are using us to, to deliver people out of the bondage of sin and I know that you are going to bring about healing in their lives and in their bodies. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Thank you, Father. Well, here it is. Jesus, he's just, he just spoke to a woman. As a matter of fact, he goes to a woman in John the 8th chapter. It's at the very beginning. If you're looking in some translations, you'll see it missing. I can explain that later. But uh, basically, here's this woman, and she's caught in the very act of adultery. And it's going to start this whole conversation about who Jesus is. And, and she's caught in the very act of adultery. Here she is in her sin, and she's been busted. I mean, there's no getting around it, no speculation. It says she was caught in the very act. And here she is brought before the feet of Jesus. Jesus is given an ultimatum. What, do you, what does the law say should happen? Well, instead of answering them directly, Jesus just kneels down in the sand. There's a whole bunch of different Pharisees and people ready to condemn this woman, but they wanted Jesus to condemn her first. And so Jesus just kneels down with his finger and begins to write on the stone tablets, the pavement of the, of the temple area where they were. They were in the court of women. You have to go look in a little bit to find that, but they were in the court of women. They were there in the temple mount. They were on the concrete tablets. He would have been writing with his finger right on the tablets, and, and moving the dust around and moving his finger around. And I don't know what he wrote. I have a feeling it was maybe the Ten Commandments or maybe it was even very specific dates about people and their lives and some of the things that they had done. I'm not really sure. The Bible leaves it completely for us. 
to figure out on our own. We have no idea what he was saying, but what we do know is this, that as he stood back up, he says, let him who was without sin cast the first stone. There was only one man in that moment that could have picked up a stone and, and killed that woman. And it was the very one who said those words. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. But he didn't do it. He just knelt back down and began to write something else. I sure wish I could have seen those words, but all I know is that this is what they began to do. From the oldest to the youngest, they began to just leave and depart. They dropped their stones and they began to leave That's that place. And suddenly this woman is left by herself caught in the act of adultery before this Lord and Savior, this Messiah of all, who's without sin and more than able to judge her and one day will judge the entire earth. But he looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're not here. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What did he write with? It was, a, was it a felt-tip pen? Oh, no, no, it was one of them quills with a feather. Oh, no, it was his finger. It was his finger. Well, it's interesting because Deuteronomy also tells us that there was another time that someone wrote with their finger. Yeah, it says those stone tablets were written with the very finger of God. I don't think it was any accident that Jesus was there on the Temple Mount the place that the Jewish people believed Moses had given the Ten Commandments many years before. And here's Jesus writing on those stone tablets with his finger, the very finger that carved them out in the first place. And he's looking at this woman and saying, I am greater than your sin, and I am greater than your bondage, and I am greater than any attack of Satan, and I am greater than the lies that he's put against you, and I am greater than anything that could ever come up against you. I am. He has a conversation with these uh, Pharisees not long after, and they're going back and forth, and they're having this whole conversation about who's your daddy. You really got to look it up. It's, I mean, for our time, it's, it's just great. I mean, that's really what it is. You may think I'm joking around, but I'm not. They're actually having a little battle about who's daddy's who. I mean, you could have seen it on a billboard. You know, you've seen those signs? Who's your daddy? You know, you do DNA testing and all. And I'm telling you, if they lived in this day, they'd have been telling Jesus, well, you need to go down there and get a DNA test and prove it to us because we don't believe what you're saying. But that's exactly what they were doing. Jesus said, I know who your dad is. And they said, well, we know who your dad is. We know the wedlock that you were produced out of. We know that, you, that Joseph and your mom were doing things they shouldn't have been doing, obviously, before they got married. Or your mom was, you know, a little shady. There was something going on. They knew because Jesus had grown up with that shadow and that ridicule, people looking and saying there's something up with this man. But Jesus knew who his father was. He was confident in who he was. He knew exactly where he had come from. He knew his father. He didn't have any identity conflicts. He knew exactly who he was. And here he is battling with them. And he tells them, well, you know, I know who your father is. Your father's the father of lies. Your father's Satan. They said, oh, no, Abraham's our father. And they begin to go through this battle, and, and they're going through it. And then finally, they get to the passage that we read. And Jesus says, he's about to say something blasphemous, man. You, you, if you missed it, the Jewish people are there to help you out. I mean, really, yeah. Because if you, if you missed it, what Jesus said, you know, you might, in our English, you might just think it doesn't mean that much. I mean, you can kind of get the gist even in English. So Jesus is pretty clear. I, my, I and my Father are one. I, I'm God. You know, I'm there. 
I'm with him completely. And John says it right in the beginning, right? I've quoted it many times. I've said it to memory. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of truth and grace. That's that great I am that I'm speaking of this morning. But here he is there with these Pharisees, and he says something to them. They're looking at him in the flesh, and they're saying, what, you said you've seen Abraham? You're saying Abraham's seen you, and he's rejoiced in what you're doing right now? And he looks at him and says, you know what? Before Abraham was even thought of, see, he had a beginning. Abraham had a moment in time where God created him and breathed life into him. There was a moment in time where he started life like you and I. But Jesus didn't start life in the manger. That was, just, that was just one point in the incarnation when he became flesh, but that wasn't the first time he had walked on this earth in the flesh. He had walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He had, he had been there when they, were, when they were talking with Abraham himself and, and, and conversation uh, going on about Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the, he was there when Joshua was about to go into the battle of Jericho, and he stands before this soldier that he can't understand who is this. And he says, I'm the, I'm the captain of the host of the Lord's army. And here's the Christ before he's even born. And Jesus makes the claim, he says. In the Greek, he says the word, ego ami. Ego ami. I am. Before Abraham took his first breath, I am. The same voice that came out of that burning bush. Same voice. The, the Jewish people, if you miss something, the Jewish people would never say, they'd never say, I am. They'd never say it. They were actually very careful. Man, they would write these things down. They would put stuff in there. and they would. I mean, uh, you, you kind of get the idea even today of any of you ever seen someone who would write G and then a little dash and then D because they're trying to be respectful. They won't even write the name of God. That's kind of a, a way they do it. When we talk about Yahweh or Jehovah, the Jewish people wouldn't even write the full name. It was just these four letters that they would write out that was the name of God. And here, in the Greek, we know the same translation because several hundred years before Christ had come in the flesh, the, the Old Testament was translated to us in Greek in the Septuagint. It was a fancy word for 70, and it was these scholars, these Jewish scholars, who translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into the common language of Greek, and they actually translated, I am that I am, I am has sent you. They translated it, ego ami, meaning I am that I am, or uh, some have put it, I will be what I will be. I even heard one commentator talk about it and say what really was happening there is God was saying, you just wait and see. Remember, the children of Israel were about to come out of bondage. They were about to see the greatest signs that had been seen uh, in, in mankind. The, Egypt was about to be put under God's feet. They were about to cross through the Red Sea on dry ground. God was going to do all the plagues. There was going to be a bunch of things happening. And God tells, uh, God tells Moses, he says, you tell them, you just mention to them, you just wait and see what I'm about to do. That's how one commentator puts it. But I think it's interesting. He says, I am, I am, or I will be that I will be. I want you to think for just a moment. Now, I don't want you to be sacrilegious here. But if you were God, okay, 
If you were God and someone asked you to describe yourself, you can't say, well, I'm like... Is there anything to describe you? If you are God Almighty and there is no other, you can't say, I'm like Zeus. You can't say... I'm like this, or I'm, I'm like this God, or that God, or I'm like the, the stone carvings that you make, or the wood carving. There's no one to compare God to. And so when he says, who am I going to tell the, Jew, the Israelite people who sent me, he says, you just tell them to wait and see what I do. You just tell them that I am, or whatever you have need of. It's like it's a to be or equal sign. I remember Amber teaching that one Sunday or one Wednesday night. You're talking about this I am or this idea of being equal to. And God's about to show them. He can't tell them and explain or compare himself to anything else because there is nothing like him. You can't compare him to the universe. He created it with his own breath. And yet he's about to say, you just wait and see. You watch what I'm about to do. So the I am is about to do something mighty. He's about to do something incredible in, the, in, this, uh, in this passage. And here's Jesus Christ standing before him, and he says, before Abraham was, I am. Wow, what a powerful statement. Now, I'm not going to keep you very long on this, but I just want to bring it to your attention that whatever you came into this house with today, here's your test. Jesus is greater than. What is it you have need of? You know, I see the prayer wall that we got, you know, the Facebook prayers that come through. You just plug that right in there. You, 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 you've got some addiction that you just can't seem to get past. One of those besetting sins that Paul's talked about. He says, let us put aside every weight and besetting sin. That's so, or uh, sin that so easily besets us. Maybe you've got some addiction or maybe you've got something that's going on in your life. Maybe you've got some ailment, you know, whatever it might be. I don't know what it is, but I just say put it right there in that blank spot. You just put it because Jesus is greater than anything you can be. Is it sin? Well, Jesus equals freedom. Is it whatever it might be, whatever you've got going on, if it's addiction, then, then Jesus is equal to whatever that answer is. What, what is going on in your body physically? Jesus is able. He is the I am that I am. He is able to deliver you. He is able to conquer every single one of these sins. He is able to conquer every single ailment that you face. As a matter of fact, I love it how John puts it because as he goes in this, this passage here, John takes us through these different signs. How many of y'all remember the water turning into wine? Yeah. Jesus just takes control of nature. Jesus becomes the purifying agent. I don't know if you caught this, but there are these six purifying uh, uh, bowls that they use for purifying themselves when they needed to be clean. Uh, they actually you can go back to Numbers, the 21st chapter, and take a look. There's the red heifer sacrifice, and the ashes were sprinkled into the water. It would give it this red tint, and they would actually use it to wash themselves. Well, in this case, John tells us in, in this passage, in the water being turned into wine, he says these are, there are six water pots used for the uh, purification of the Jews, for the rites of the purification of the Jews. 
It's exactly these purification pots that were used when uh, they went to get clean, when they, wanted, when they were unholy and they needed to be cleansed. They would use these purification pots. Well, Jesus comes into the party. There's all out of wine. Now, I know it's hard to relate in the Assembly of God Church, but I'm just saying they went to a party and they ran out of wine and it, it just went south quick. But Mama looks over at Jesus and says, hey, do something about this. This family, we need to take care of them. And Jesus says, uh, you know, my time's not yet come. And then Mama just looks over and says to the, serv- to, to the disciples, whatever he tells you, you do it. And Jesus tells them, go grab those water pots and fill them full of water. And then take it to the governor. Take it to the feast, the, the judge of the feast, the one who's over it and planning it and taking care of it. You take it to him. And he takes it out and begins to sip some of that. And he says, man, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. He says, why did y'all, what? most people save it. You know, most people have this good stuff at the beginning, but you've saved it till the last. And so here's Jesus saving the, the party. He's actually taking care of all that's going on. And then not long after that, he meets someone, and his son's sick, and he's dying. And, and he, Jesus just simply heals him from a distance. And at that very hour, he receives his healing. His son is made whole again, and it's, it's taken care of. Uh, Jesus was not a God that needed to touch you physically. He could be a miles and miles away, but distance was no matter. It didn't make a difference. He could be the one to touch you. Then he begins to meet his disciples, and they're in the storm and the waves, and it's scary, and they're all worried about what's going to happen. But the great I Am, who walks on the recesses of the deep, is there in the midst of the storm, and he's just walking on the water. It's nothing big for him. Another time, he's just there in the boat. The storms are about to get him. They're about to be capsized. And Jesus just saw him log. I wonder if he snored. Well, if that's any indication of your peace, then Jesus must have been snoring loud. Louder than that storm because his peace was there. He knew who his father was. He knew the plan that he had. And there wasn't anything going to keep him from being able to fulfill that plan. So he could lay down his head at night. And no matter what storms raged around him, he could have perfect peace that he was in the father's hand that he was being able to do and, and work. And so the, the disciples, they're like you and me. Excuse me. The disciples, they're like you and me. They're, they're all sitting there wondering, how's this all going to work out? How are we going to make it through the storm? But there's Jesus. There's Jesus, the great I am. All he has to do is whisper. All he has to do is call out to the storm. He says, I'm the God over all nature. I'm the God over all creation. I'm the God over every demon, over everything in hell. There is nothing that is greater than me. I can call it all into submission. That's the God that you and I serve. He's a God that's greater than anything you could ever face. Does your circumstance look real big? Does it look overwhelming? Are you in the middle of it and can't see how you're going to get out? Well, I'm just here to tell you, if your situation is that kind of situation, then you need to recognize that your situation and your circumstance needs to be put in view and in light of the God you serve suddenly your circumstance becomes really small because you realize you serve a mighty God, a big God. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. Then Jesus, here he is. There, he, he says, I am the bread of life. And then he feeds 5,000 with, with two fish and loaves. Five loaves and two fish. Begins to break them. That's pretty good. They come back the next day. Feed us again. Feed us again. Jesus says, you don't understand. I am the bread of life. I am that bread, that manna that fell on the, on the Jewish people as they were there in Exodus. I am 
That's sustaining. Remember, they had to eat of that bread every single day, just like you and I. We have to eat of that bread every single day if we want to have life. But it's not the bread that falls down on the ground. It's Jesus Christ. He says, you've got to eat of me. You've got to take of my body. You've got to take of my flesh. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. You aren't making it anywhere without me. I'm the source. The moment you disconnect yourself from me, you are nothing. You need me every day to feed you. You need me. Notice every single one of the I am discourses that Jesus has in the book of John. They are I am. I am equal to. I am your bread. I am your vine, your source. I am the door or the gate. I'm the entryway and there's no other way. He says I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus was saying it all throughout the, that book. He was telling them, just look at me. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Yeah, how does God describe himself? The best way he can, he puts himself in the bodily form, comes down as Jesus Christ. And what does he say? He basically sums it all up when he gives his life and says, I am equal to love. I am going to give of myself for you. Wow. Greater love has no man than this, than he had laid down his life for his friends. Isn't it amazing? What did you come in here with? What weight is holding you down? What things are keeping you from doing what God desires to do in your life? What is it that's causing you to struggle and, and to be able to say, I just can't make it anymore? What financial problems do you have? Do you have financial needs? Are you sitting there thinking, you know what? Do you know the Bible even talks about that? It talks about finances probably more than almost any other thing. It's interesting because finances affect us every day. You, you can't help it. Every, I mean, and, you know, is anybody independently wealthy? In here, I mean, if you are, you know, we need to talk. I mean, you, know. <laughs> oh. you know, we work, and you go out and you spend your days earning a living so you can pay for your family to have things and your house and your cars and, and just being able to have a life. So you better believe your finances are an important part of who you are and what, what you're doing. And God knows when you're going through financial struggles, just like he saw that widow woman who was, who was picking up sticks. We talked about her not too long ago, and he decides to send one of his prophets to go and meet this woman in the middle of a drought. We haven't even talked about Elisha when he meets the woman who's got these different cruises. I mean, you know, she, her husband's died. Her source of income is gone. And she has no way to provide for her children. As a matter of fact, she was going to do the only thing she knew to do. They'd have to sell themselves into slavery so that they could pay the debts of her husband. But God sends his man of God, Elisha, and begins to tell her, you go find you a couple... Uh, empty vessels. Find as many as you can. And then you begin to fill them with the little bit of oil that you got. And she began to fill with just this little bit of oil. And I believe she got all kinds of these vessels. It would have filled this. I mean, she's just, she's just pouring and pouring and pouring. And that bottle of oil just keeps getting greater and greater and greater and multiplying just like the fishes and loaves. Here she is pouring out that oil and filling up all these different uh, all these different containers, and she keeps doing it until they can't find anything else to fill. And then the oil stops. She goes and sells it 
and meets all her financial needs. You think God doesn't care about your finances? He can meet a widow woman. He can, if he can look and say, look at that widow woman who's given her two mites, like Jesus, you know, here's this woman just giving of, of everything she's gotten. Jesus says, look at her. She's given more than everybody else combined here today. And they looked and said, what are you talking about? She just gave a couple pennies. And Jesus looks and says, yeah, but she gave everything she had. You know, God doesn't ask a little of you. He doesn't ask much of you at all, as a matter of fact. A lot of people think, oh, man, God just asks so much of me. I give so much up. Now, sometimes the church can, but, but God, he doesn't ask much of you. If you thought God asked much of you, I'm just here to tell you today you're wrong. God asks everything of you. I'm sorry, it was a trick, wasn't it? I just pulled you right in there, didn't I? God asks for everything. He doesn't want something. He doesn't want a part of you. He wants your good and your bad. He wants your attitude, the good one and the bad one. He wants everything about you. He wants you to surrender it all to him, and then he'll work on changing your life. But the moment you just kind of piecemeal your life and say, okay, God, you can have this little part. Here it is. Take that. You know? You can have this, but nothing else. God doesn't want that. He's not satisfied with that. God says, I want you to just give me it all, and then I'll take care of you. Why? Because he's greater. He's greater. He breathed life into you. He knit you in your mother's womb. And one day when you die, or when the rapture takes place, it may be soon, but one day, when you die, and your body is put into the ground, maybe you're cremated. We talked about this this morning. Someday, your body's going to decay, and it's going to fade away. Maybe it'll just die off and be, be assimilated into this earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's gone, but one day, God's going to speak a word. He's going to know exactly who you are. You aren't lost. You aren't forgotten. He's got you right in the palm of his hands. Even in the Bible, it says, he says he knows who you are so well that he's carved it in the palm of his hands. Remember, he died for you and I when he was sacrificed on that cross. And so he's carved you in the palm of his hands, and he hadn't forgot you, and your body is important to him, but he doesn't need any little piece of your body because he already knows it. He's already got it ready. The great I am is greater than death. He is greater than your death. He, he has victory. He has, he's conquered death himself. Death could not hold my Savior down. Amen? That's the God we serve. I, I, I'm going to have you stand, and then we're gonna, I'm going to talk to you for just one second longer, and we're going to pray. I don't know what you came in here with, when Jesus gave his life on the cross for you and I, he willfully gave it. They couldn't take it from him. They could not take it from him. So he gives his life and he surrenders it willfully. He actually just, here you go. How do I know? Well, you know, there's this passage that says that a whole group of men, some of them centurions, some of them were... Uh, were uh, from the priest's guards. They had Judas Iscariot with them. And he's lighting the way, and it's dark and dim, and you can't see all that's going on. It's late at night. 
Jesus said many times before, even in the passage we read in John 8, many times before he had slipped away, gotten away. They wanted to kill him, but he was able to just move away at, at a whim. He, he could move away. There was no one could touch him. But at this night, he orchestrated the whole event, got Judas scared, got Judas worried. Judas had to go run and tell him, hey, now's the time. We got to take Jesus now. The gig's up. Jesus knows what's going on. We got to go get him. And so they come into the garden. Here he is. He's been praying. He stands up, and you can't see really good, but under the light of these lamps, as they're coming to take him, Jesus looks at him, and they're searching out Jesus of Nazareth, and they say, and, and Jesus looks at him and says, Who do you see? Who are you looking for? And Jesus says, I am he. And they fell to the ground. Nobody took Jesus to the cross. They could have brought every soldier in the Roman Empire. And they would have fallen down under the power of his voice. That same voice that called out from the burning bush and said, you just wait and see. He looks at these men. He looks at Judas, who's about to kiss him on the cheek and betray him, and he says, I am. You just wait and see what I'm about to do. You just wait and see. Who are you, God? I think God is saying to you and I right now, we're looking at him saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through this situation. I don't know how I'm going to get through this you know, make it through whatever. You fill in the blank. I left it blank for you. You fill in that blank because it could be anything. And you're looking and saying, I don't know how. And Jesus says, if you will just trust in me, then I will be to you just like he was to those Israelites. And he will say to you, you just wait and see. You just wait and see. I am that I am. I will be who I will be. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father God, I just thank you. I thank you that you are the God of all peace, that you are the God of all comfort, that you are the God of all distance, that there's nothing that separates us from you, Lord God. I just thank you, Father, that your love is never changing. It's never failing. And Father, you can do great and mighty things. You can move mountains on our behalf. Father, we don't worship you today because of what you do for us. We don't worship you today, Lord God, because you can heal. We don't worship you today because you're all-powerful. We worship you, Lord God, because you are worthy. Whether you did anything for us or not, Lord God, you'd be worthy. You always have been, you always will be, and you are today. So we worship you and we acknowledge that you are God and you are the sovereign God that everything happens and that you know it and you see it. But we also surrender to you today, Lord God, in trust and in faith. Lord God, we bring our cares, just like you said, cast your cares before me for I care for you. Father God, we recognize that in this house there is sin, bondage. We recognize that in this house there is sickness, there is ailments, there is cancers. There are, there are people who are struggling with back issues and and, and feed issues, Lord God. And there are people who are struggling with different types of, of, of allergies and all different types of things. There are people who are going through emotional struggles right now, Lord God. There are people who are living in unforgiveness. 
there are people who are, who are struggling because they've been abused by people and it wasn't their fault, but people have abused them in different ways. There are people in this house who have been abandoned and rejected and they're living a life right now and they feel like there is no way a God could accept them. They've been rejected so many times, but I just believe right now, Father God, you're looking at them and saying, I am greater, I am greater, I am greater. Father, I don't know how to put it in their heart. I don't know how to make people see what a mighty, powerful God you are. But I just pray right now, Lord God, that their heart would see it. That you would just give them a vision. Lord God, you would help them to see what an incredible, mighty God you are. You are greater. With every head bowed and eye closed, I just want to ask you, is there anyone in this house that is dealing with either some type of, of, of sin or you, just, or you just maybe, you just know, I'm not living for Jesus Christ. But I want to live for Him. I want to give my life to Christ Jesus. If you're in this house and that's you, would you just lift your hand? You just lift your hand. I want to know. I want to pray with you. Anyone in this place? I need Jesus Christ. I see that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Now I'm going to ask that person, but I don't want them to come alone. I'm going to ask you, if you would, Do you have a need? Maybe a, someone who needs to be saved. Maybe healing in your own body or healing in someone else's body. Uh, finances. Whatever it is. You, whatever that blank is that you filled in, if you've already got it and you're looking and you're saying, and when I said that, if, you, if something suddenly filled in that gap and that is you, would you just come forward right now? I want to pray with you. If you filled in that gap, would you just come forward? I want to pray with you. Just come on forward. Come on forward. You can find a place to kneel, but I want to pray with you as well. And then others that want to come pray with these that are coming forward, let's just pray. God is greater than any circumstance or anything you're going through. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.